0: To community votes, your eco-feminist radio show on KMRE 102.3 FM. My name is Liz Darrow. I produce the show. And today we are talking about um, the dignity vigils that we've been holding out in front of a ice facility in Ferndale um, off of the Pacific highway. And we've been having those vigils for a few months now, ever since we determined the location of an ice prison out in that industrial park. So a couple of weeks ago, a student journalist for the Western Front, um, his name is Kai Uehara, he put out an article that was about the vigils and just trying to figure out um, what the story is with this ICE detention center, because it's unmarked, of course, it's like a secret facility. And the way that we found it was from a testimony of a community member who was held there in 2018. So Kai published this story in the Western Front, and then the Immigration Advisory Board got an email from Robert Hammer, who is the special agent in charge of Alaska, Idaho, Oregon, and Washington. He's in an office in Seattle. So that was kind of surprising that from an article in the Western Front, all of a sudden uh, they were reaching out to us. So um, joining me on the show today is Sierra Green. And Sierra is, um, well, I'll, I'll let you tell us who you are, Sierra.
1: Hi. I'm Sierra. I'm a student at Western, and I'm studying human services. I'm a third year currently, and I work with C2C as a part of the Promotor Group. And I recently just joined IAB, um, which is the Immigration Advisory Board for Bellingham.
0: So um, I'm so excited about that because I think it'll be great to have your perspective as a student and also as a part of the Promotor program. You have. A unique lens sort of on some of these community issues. So uh, yesterday, you joined a group of us from the Immigration Advisory Board for a tour of this ICE facility. So I'm curious if you can tell us sort of your initial impressions when we showed up there.
1: Yes, um, I think, well, (laughs) first off, I had a little bit of a hard time finding the building which is kind of ironic because I've been to that location before for a vigil and the building is just kind of like unmarked in like the cut. Like you have to kind of drive around a little bit until you see barbed wire fence and then you kind of know that's where you're at. Um, upon arriving, we all kind of gathered in a group. We put our phones in our cars and met with Matthew Murphy. Um, I forget his exact title or position there.
0: He is an assistant special agent in charge. And so he told us that means he oversees all of the ICE offices in Whatcom County, I believe is what he said. Okay.
1: I think there's a lot to unpack with our tour yesterday, um, just from my perspective, but yeah, upon arriving, it was kind of just like awkward. (laughs) <laughs> no I think that's a good way to put it. it was it was just awkward. <laughs> um, and we kind of had started off the tour with a conversation in the their conference room and we they gave us a presentation and I think, yeah, I think for now I'm going to summarize it as awkward.
0: <laughs> yeah. I agree. Also joining us today is Marciano Sanchez from the uh Familia Soninas por la Justicia, who is also currently on the Immigration Advisory Board. Hi Marciano. Hi Marciano.
2: Hi. Hi everyone. Yeah. Um, um, you know, kind of like what Sierra mentioned, um, it was um it was weird. It was at points uncomfortable, definitely hostile. Um so. And yeah, every, yeah, that's kind of what I got from it.
0: I noticed, first thing I noticed was the artwork, if you can call it that. There's like a big poster right when you go in that lays out all the collaborations between local and state and federal law enforcement. And then they had these big frame pictures all over the walls, like um, probably drugs that they had apprehended, like bags of white probably cocaine, who knows what, and, and cash and people with guns. Like it was just the vibe was really militant and violent just from walking in there compared to like in our offices in Whatcom gadget when you go in and there's like a lot of art and um, sort of community presence. So okay. it felt like going into enemy territory for sure, just because we do oppose the existence of this facility. And I think that was really clear going in. So I felt like the agent in charge of giving us a tour was immediately defensive, which makes sense, um, given that they were responding to an article that was critical of their existence. But I think it's really interesting that the student journalists had reached out to them for their side of the story, and they declined to participate in that article. But then when the article was published, someone sent it to the regional director, and they decided they needed to clear things up is what they said. Um, What do you all think? Would you say that they cleared things up?
1: I definitely resonate with um, everything you both just said, just kind of about the environment being hostile. And I know me and Liz had a separate conversation about just some of the weird imagery on the walls, just because that was definitely alarming and kind of set the tone, at least for me personally, because we do oppose the location. And to go in and kind of just see how proud they are of what it is that they do was just, I, I get everybody has differing views on different topics, but I just, I don't understand, I will never understand how they're so proud of their job. Um, I would say I don't have any clarity. (laughs) Um, The presentation given was very generic and... I just, all of that information I have seen personally through like my research as a community researcher um, at C2C. So I've seen a lot of the information in the presentation on their website. (laughs) So it was just interesting to me that they were giving us a presentation of public information, but at the same time, I asked for a copy of the presentation just for like my own personal research Um, after the tour and I was told that he could not provide that for me because it was secure information or I can't remember the exact wording he said but essentially it was guarded private information and they were giving us like an exclusive tour so he couldn't provide it which I thought was interesting just because all the information on there was public so I think I definitely think they were trying to not even convince us of their agenda, but just kind of trying to shut us up. Um, He definitely made sure to point out where his beliefs aligned. And I think, yeah, I think for a tour that's supposed to be informative in terms of the article that was published, we didn't get informed of much at all. And all of the questions we asked were dodged or avoided. And he just gave us what he wanted to give us, which wasn't much.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what I um, also got from it. Um, yeah, you know, uh, you mentioned the images that were on the wall. Yeah, that's, that was right when we entered um, There were the cash. And then just how very proud they were of like all their apparent accomplishments of how and how proud they are working with CBP and um, police officer here in Wellcome. Um And and then during that, pr- that presentation, um, I felt that they were in a way trying to convince us that they're actually out there trying to um, help out the community. And then, you know, I don't, we didn't buy that. Um, that's not really what they're f- there for and when we got into their garage, uh, you know, we saw the, the big military uh, armored truck and him having to say that, oh, it's there for their protection in case someone has a history of being, like, aggressive. Um, if, I mean, if they're really out there trying to protect the community and someone is being aggressive, you don't bring out a tank um, to protect yourself. Uh, even though they also had a truck, uh, just like a regular civilian looking truck that could do the same thing that was also armored, uh, but not to the extent um, that a tank.
0: Yeah, that tank was um, a little over the top. And I think, like what you're saying, you know, we had asked them about this incident a couple months ago, where um, I found out about this on Nextdoor cause it was just happened to be in my neighborhood, but there were 13 HSI agents that surrounded a home right near Columbia elementary school. And so parents were trying to figure out cause they had like big guns. And so they posted these photos to this group and said like, not sure if I should send my kids to school or my kids already started out for school. Does anyone know what's going on? And he had said, when I asked them about that yesterday, um, cause I also am on my neighborhood association. So I promised that I would try to get more information. And we had tried um, back when it happened to get more information and their response was like, oh, it's an HSI investigation. We can't tell you anything about it. But, you know, we asked him like, what's the accountability to the community? Because that it's a safety concern for kids to be present. If the person inside that house was presumed dangerous to the degree where they need to have 13 armed agents, then what about these hundreds of kids walking past that, you know? And I feel like he, a lot of his responses were non-responses, but I think what he said is just like, oh, you know, we can't tell people it's happening ahead of time because then the element of surprise would be ruined. So it doesn't always happen during a time when kids are walking to school or something like that. I was just like, that doesn't really... It doesn't solve it for me that people in my neighborhood were really scared by that and before that happened i didn't know what hsi was it stands for homeland security investigations and the way they talk about their priorities too he's like he said a few times that they're just there to get the bad guys but they don't define what that means and their priorities for sure like have to do with drugs and human trafficking but also border security, which is really ambiguous. And I remember there was a moment where he said, basically anything that crosses the border is part of our work. So, and I was thinking like, oh, that's our work too. You know, like he was trying to dodge questions about undocumented people or immigrants in general. I think just because ICE has become hugely unpopular based on how aggressive they are in communities. So I really thought he was trying to paint it like, oh, these bad guys smuggling drugs or whatever. But also he admitted that they do have administrative authority to arrest people, even if it isn't about um, smuggling or child trafficking. So, um, you know, I think it just, it's unfortunate that they have focused so much of their resources on a PR campaign to try to get us to appreciate their presence in the community. And I remember at the end of the tour when he was like, I'm sure we would all agree, you know, nobody would disagree with us being here once they know why we're here. So, um, but I was thinking like, I obviously still disagree. And one thing they're trying to do is shut down the vigils, right? They don't like that, um, the optics of people protesting. But it's interesting because there's this question of another office there, ERO, Enforcement and Removal Office is what that stands for, Um, and the reason that I think there's another office there is because his boss told me on the phone, you must be thinking about the ERO. It's like a thousand feet from that building. And then when I asked about it again, um, they said, Oh, we can't talk about that. So the only thing I, I know now that I didn't know yesterday is that there, there's probably two ice offices in that facility. So I don't think that will make the vigil stop. (laughs) It's kind of like doubly bad, you know?
2: Yeah. When, um, When those questions were asked, um, you know, I was expecting, you know, kind of like an example of how long someone has been kept there, you know, like a record of maybe two days is what has happened before, or uh, maybe only three people have ever stayed there. That's kind of what I was expecting to get from him, but he would always just answer, um, you know, very broadly to every single questions and, you know, hearing that he he would constantly say, oh, you know, it's very dependent. Uh, it's a case-per-case case scenario. Um, there's no really limit to how long they can stay. Um, so, you know, having him say that, you know, usually, um, you know, working um, along with Kent, uh, who has history of being uh, an attorney, uh, I, you know, I pick up some stuff every now and then. And usually if someone doesn't really want to answer, um, you know, directly to a question, they'll always give those kind of broad um, answers. And it's one because they're avoiding, you know, telling a lie, which could get them in trouble or the truth is also, you know, if they say the truth, that's also going to get them in like more trouble as well. Um, So it's definitely, I think it's, they're definitely holding, Uh, people in there um, for over 24 hours Um, and as well as probably you know um, have held people there more more than three have been held in there I think Um, that's kind of what I got from him when he was um, avoiding those questions Um, you know he never said it directly but um, you know just him trying to avoid them I think that's that's really what's happening
0: Yeah, I agree. There's a way to answer a question that is just giving away that you're not going to answer the question. So there's really no reason to do that. If they had regulations, um, that could be pretty straightforward. But, you know, like you said, um, he did say, I think he said they rarely hold anyone overnight or they don't hold anyone overnight. Um, The only testimony we have that talks about being held there, that individual did get moved to another facility after four hours. So It's possible that they don't want to be um, uh, under the inspection rules that detention centers have, but that's, that will be information that he could give us that to me would have been like, okay, that's more concrete. Now we understand why this person was moved in the middle of the night as it is. We just, I mean, I still don't really have any clarity. And unfortunately, because they're so secretive, we don't have like data about it. It's really just, if someone tells us they were held there, so um, we don't really know what's going on there on a day-to-day basis. Um, the cells that we saw were all stainless steel and no bathroom, no door on the bathroom, just like a toilet and a sink with a little wall separating the toilet from the sink. And, um, this testimony that we have from a community member who was held there, it was interesting, um, because it was exactly like, I could almost hear his voice giving this testimony because it was, it just described it exactly. I guess it wouldn't surprise me if their offices all look the same, but like, it doesn't really matter. They all work for ice. Right. So it's, they're all funded by ice. I mean, I guess for me, it's just like, if there is another facility, I want to see the inside of that one as well. I feel like people should, and it's too bad that we weren't allowed to take any photos or bring our phones or anything, because I think everyone should see what it looks like in there and how proud they are of like being so militant. It's just a totally different uh, mentality around demonizing individuals, many of whom are our neighbors and co workers and community members. So I don't I didn't feel like he could see the humanity in people who get taken like that. What's interesting
1: is just, you know, the rhetoric kind of just like in the social sphere around immigration It's just a lot of denial of the inhumane things that are happening at the border and in like detention centers. And the separation that he tried to make between himself and kind of just border patrol and who is detaining people was interesting to me because it's like, okay, so you are an ICE agent, even if you are in a different branch, which is Homeland Security Invest Investigation or investigative unit. Um, so that is i mean even if you aren't the person who is detaining undocumented folks which i'm sure that you are or have at some point like you still have a role in that you are still a part of ice um and i feel like yesterday he really tried to cue in on this fact that he's not targeting undocumented people but it's like okay so then what are you doing so you're telling me that you're focusing on the canadian border Um, to seize narcotics, and you're going after gang members, and people who are exploiting children, like, okay, but also you're presenting this narrative of you're going after bad guys, but you can't really define, like, what is the demographic? Like, what is the demographic that you're targeting when you're going through these investigations? Um, And I thought something interesting in the presentation that they gave was they really singled out MS-13 gang members. Um, And that kind of just made me uncomfortable because I think we all know the demographic of MS-13 and it is Latinx folks. So I'm just kind of confused as to, you're telling me you're not targeting a certain group, but like you most definitely are. And another thing was you're telling me you only focus on the Canadian border for the most part. But when I asked you about the vehicles in the garage, you said that the v- one of the SUVs had just gotten brought up from Mexico. So what is that about? <laughs> like, I just felt like a lot of the information he gave was vague and left to interpretation, but also he's trying to push this narrative through his vague answers. Um, and there was a little bit, of things that you could kind of just like the Mexico example for the SUV coming up from Mexico. It's like, okay, you're telling me you don't like, you focus on the Canadian border. So why did that SUV not come from Canada? (laughs) I don't know. So that was just something I was thinking about. Um, Also to trailing back to the cells. I just thought it was kind of humorous in a way um, because when looking at the bench, I was thinking I couldn't. My butt couldn't even fit on that bench. Um, I couldn't imagine being in there for hours, like the testimony from our community member. So,
2: um, yeah. So um, going back to um, how he um, answered to s- us some of your questions, Liz, um, about how he didn't understand why. They were, uh, there was a vigil out there, you know, he he would say, you know, he didn't understand why there's a protest. Um, and he would answer it as if, you know, HSI, HSI, HSI themselves are being victims of the, the vigil's attack. Um, and really um, saying like, you know, almost in a way like we don't know what we're doing and like taunting us. Um, And uh, if the community really did understand, they wouldn't be out there. They would support them. Um, I don't know. I thought that was kind of, um, in a way, insulting. Because he definitely knows why members are there. Uh, The the community is there. But he just flat, flat out refuses to understand what's going on. And, you know, as well as with the bench, um, yeah, they they don't look really comfortable. Um, they're probably, what, maybe um, six inches um, in width. So it's it's not a comfortable place to sit. Um, and the walls, they're, uh, the room itself is probably like a seven by nine feet. And, you know, being in there, it's, you know, it probably messes with your head And then, you know, right by it is their interrogation room where I'm assuming, you know, if you're put in there, you start to freak out and then, you know, they pull you out and start asking you questions. Um, And, you know, as well as another question that was asked was, um, I can't remember, but when he answered, he mentioned that, you know, depending on how the community or members um, would um, answer to their questions. They might be nice to them and let them out early. Or another case was that there has been times where people were falsely accused. Um, I, I wasn't able to ask uh, you know, how many times that has happened. That definitely would have been a, a, good, a good thing to know. Um, How many times has someone been falsely accused, but going through that process ended up getting deported? Yeah. Because I'm sure it has happened multiple times.
1: I think with that, um, he didn't really create an environment for us to ask questions. I think if we wanted to ask questions, we kind of just had to push through the hostile environment he was providing because all of the questions we asked, he was very combative um, in response or defensive, I guess would be a better word. It's just he was kind of belittling us in a way when he was answering questions, or at least that's how I felt. Um, Because when the group would ask questions, he just would kind of give responses like, Well, isn't this obvious? And it's like, Well, if we're asking the questions, it's not obvious. And also, too, with like questions like, Okay, like what's the maximum amount of hours you're allowed to hold people? I would think, just like in terms of the law, you would be able to provide that. I mean, isn't that your job to know that? Like, you can't tell me how long you're allowed to hold someone in this cell. Like, I'm confused. So I just think, like, a lot of things he should have been able to tell us, he couldn't or just didn't want to. And then the basis of that is, like, okay, well, a federal agency is allowed to be secretive. And it's, like, okay, but to what
0: extent? Like, not even knowing that they're there. The governor's office didn't even know that they were there until we reported it. So in many ways, I think he's just adopted this ideology that they're above the law. Like even when I brought up the Homeland Security, Secretary Mayorkas has this new memo out that is specific guidelines for ICE and what they're supposed to prioritize, which is a problematic memo in itself. But his response was like, well, that doesn't really apply to us, but they work for ICE. But I think um, in his mind and probably part of their training is like, They're heroes, like they're above any kind of standard or guideline that anybody else could have because they might um, save us all from, you know, whatever imaginary evil that they have drummed up. Or, you know, like you were saying, Sierra, about um, really promoting this idea that they're capturing MS 13 members in the PowerPoint, like. There was even like a hand tattoo that said MS on it, like all big and scripty. And it's just ridiculous, pretty much. And especially since he was saying their focus really is up here. Um, so like you were saying, it's like, well, what, you know, not knowing really any concrete evidence about MS-13 or even if that's like, I mean, I, I don't know that much about it, except for the stereotypes that law enforcement and television perpetuate, which is like, these really bad, like drug slinging, gun slinging people. And it's like, okay, that's one stereotype, but like, what else, like you were saying, we just don't, we don't really know any concrete, like when is an example? Cause you even asked for examples of things. Like, can you give an example of when you've interacted with the community or any time when you have tried to like, let people know what's going on here. And there wasn't really, he didn't really have anything. The only example I know of is that, um, hostile takeover in my neighborhood at eight, 40 in the morning. So that is not, but we don't know. I mean, was that person inside ever returned to their family or like, we can't find out what happened. So I think that's a big problem. They could be doing anything really. And they'll just say like, Oh, it's classified information or, you know, they had a lot of interrogation rooms. So we only got to see inside of one, but many of the windows on the doors, um, had paper taped over them or it was like we just walked by a whole bunch of rooms and the thing is it's hard to even be curious because we know from community the kinds of things that they do so it's like how much of that do we really need to see but he certainly wasn't showing us I mean even that one door when I asked him what it was he was like oh that's just another hallway so it's like he wasn't really trying to um give us the whole picture I don't think
1: What's funny too, Liz, is yesterday when I got home, my roommate, Sonia, texted me and asked me what was going on in my neighborhood, and I kind of live over um, by Trader Joe's in Bellingham, and she, apparently, um, I was headed to a meeting and I was stuck in traffic, and I'm not sure if that was kind of why I was stuck in traffic, but there was like a high-speed chase on the freeway um, that involved border Patrol and choppers, and I guess there's just some really crazy stuff going on while we were um, at the tour. So, I mean, I don't know too much about what happened yesterday or what was going on. I just think it's kind of funny that someone with a warrant out for their arrest um, was getting chased on the freeway and Border Patrol was present and active in that. Um, Yeah, I I just, I think the whole... I think the whole takeaway for me is I wanted so much more out of that tour and I was really let down, um, just because I didn't feel like I could ask the questions that I had. Um, and the questions that I did ask were kind of just, those were at the bottom of my list. Those were like the most basic questions I had. Um, but that was all I felt comfortable enough to ask.
0: Yeah. That's interesting about someone being in a high-speed chase. Of course we get, um, we get data from interactions of CBP and police as part of the immigration advisory board. Um, But it's like usually a month delay just because for them to compile it. So even that data though um, is really insufficient. It's like, they'll tell you that the Bellingham Bellingham police called CBP and asked for assistance or something, but they don't ever say what the result was or if anybody got hurt or You know the kinds of things that I think the community would want to know is like um what are we left with after that incident I mean I hope that nobody was hurt um I know the freeway was a mess yesterday so that may have been a part of it but it is really weird to live in a community I've been here for 23 years and to have no idea really what's going on um and I think we learn more by digging but uh they don't ever have to tell us the full story. So it's like, that's a safety issue in my mind. Like if they're gonna be driving around at high speeds and pursuing people with weapons and stuff like that, like how do we get to interact with that? Like, because I wouldn't um, I wouldn't think anybody would wanna get caught in the middle of that. That sounds really dangerous.
1: <laughs>
3: Freedom I to meet them, where's you read them. This one needs a brand new weed them Weed and the key. Weed and the key then to life. Let's beat them. Weed and smartphones don't beat them Da 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 then we don't need to kick them This is no southeast no western Their yeah, guns close to
1: um, MS-13 just because I think that's valuable information and the gang originated in Los Angeles but it was set up to protect Salvadorian immigrants um, from other gangs in the Los Angeles area so the territory is Central America like El Salvador, Guatemala and Honduras and then Mexico so I I just think that's interesting because like they're not targeting a certain demographic but via (laughs) their like pride on arresting MS-13 members. I think that shows you the demographic that they're after without them even saying
0: it. I think that, uh, that we know of, I mean, this is the other hard part is that we don't know everything, right? Just what we find out from community trusting C2C and FUJ for the most part. I mean, those are the places where people are, um, from that get detained and deported here. Like I, um, It's pretty overwhelming, like the workplace raids and stuff, all of those people, which the last workplace raid was 18 individuals detained and more than half of them deported. It was all from um, Mexico, Honduras, Guatemala. So that's what we know in this community, what's happening. Um, And, you know, I hope it's not happening in large numbers to other communities. That's really overwhelming to think about. But we do know consistently in the 17 years that C2C has been here that mostly um, farm workers and other workers from South America, Central America are targeted really plainly, really obviously. I mean, that's what happened to Lelo. It's like racial profiling, um, cultural profiling, because I think that man um, that we talked to yesterday didn't have any problem with the assumption that a person who looks a certain way is a bad person. <laughs> like, that's the definition of racial profiling. But like you said, Sierra, we couldn't get there with him because he wasn't even thinking on any other level other than defense, right?
1: Also, too, I think another important thing to put in here is that he was very, very transparent about his stances, just kind of with some stuff going on in like Bellingham, um, how ICE isn't allowed to partner with the police department are not not that they're not allowed but they have certain restrictions now because of new policies passed and he was very upset about that but also at the same time like why aren't you considering the disadvantage that it puts some of our community at when two big forces are coming together to essentially attack them um you know and I guess there's a bunch of different things that could go into there that you know we don't need to get into today but just like the profiling aspect of it Um, here in the summer in Bellingham, we had a bunch of, um, protests due to the houseless crisis going on. And, you know, a lot of college students were involved with that. And ICE was actually present at some of those, um, demonstrations, which, you know, it's just a hot, also white supremacists were present, um, just very hostile environment. And it's like, okay, so why don't you understand why it's inappropriate for, ice and the Bellingham police department to partner up and kind of just attack the community together like it's it's not okay and it instills fear and this feeling of like not being safe <laughs> you know like we're supposed to be allowed to protest and you know openly share what we're against and that's like a part of our rights <laughs> and i feel like that's something that like conservative folks focus on is like our rights and our dignity as, like, Americans, and I think when people are trying to do demonstrations and they're not particularly violent or, you know, doing anything in the wrong other than exercising their rights for ICE and the police department to be there, it's just kind of giving the opposite narrative. So, also, too, he was openly um, saying that he didn't understand why people were there um, doing the vigils to kind of expose the building and I think it was very obvious why those people were there and that's why I asked the question about like his community involvement because you could totally figure out that question just by investigating which is your job because you're Homeland Security investigative unit so why aren't you investigating why these people are there and why they're upset. Why doesn't that matter to you?
0: Yeah, I want to give a shout out to Jeremy Jones, who is a um, photoless, friendless person on Facebook who followed the vigils right after we left that center. I know that um, there's been various interactions with um, people that we work with over the years where police will just kind of watch or, um, you know, And it's just kind of funny because it's like nothing that we're doing is illegal, but they're also very clumsy about, especially with Facebook. I feel like Facebook is a tool that um, the police do not use well, because I don't know if it's um, cultural or age or what, but it's like, you know, you might just put up a fake picture or something because you are the only person in this space who doesn't really exist. (laughs) So it's just kind of, I mean, it would be comical except for that it's also like a huge waste of resources. And And a scare tactic, pretty much trying to keep us from, like you said, exercising our First Amendment rights. And um, I think people should know that that's there. I mean, what we've seen at the vigils when certain um, trucks from other businesses in that complex come by is that they will honk and wave. Like maybe they don't want to be neighbors with ICE, you know, and maybe um, the landowner, you know, should think through a little bit more like, I mean, it goes all the way to the permitting process and how we allow things like that to be in that space. But like, I think that should be a conversation. Like maybe we don't want, we don't have to host the federal government. Um, That's not a thing that uh, is required. So uh, I wish we had stronger regulations against it. Like, um, you know, certain criminals, if they move into your neighborhood, the police have to let you know that so that you know you have information about your neighborhood. I think it should be the same. We should know where the police are, and we should know what they're doing,
2: yeah, totally agree with you um, and you know hearing him you know completely disagree um, with everything that we believe in um, it was yeah it was it was really annoying just being around him because um, what Sierra mentioned earlier was that every questions were dodged, um, and it's almost like he didn't want us there, but he, at the same time, like, did in order to try to clear up what we thought, uh, to make himself look better, or HSI look better, um, and he failed miserably at that. Um, and then you know, going back to how proud they are working with, and um, um, police officers. Um, one thing that he mentioned as well was that he wishes that uh, they could um, work together more often. Um, and but and right now, as it is, they do every now and then um, interact with each other. Um, so he did admit that, that that's what they're doing. And I think that's some good information for us to have, even though we already knew that was going on. But, you know, hearing that from him, Oh, that's good.
0: Yeah, he talked about the Keep Washington Working Act and how the passage of that law in 2019 has made the Bellingham Police Department more reluctant to collaborate when, I mean, it's because it's a law that says that they can't. Um, but he was pretty clear that they still do it. He said everything is bilateral, like collaboration between agencies is what we depend on. You know, he used a lot of language that was like, yeah, this is going on, but too bad. There's these laws that restrict it because we would do even more. Um, and I relate to what Sierra is saying is like, the more agencies that you have targeting you, um, it does create a safety issue and also just like a culture of fear. Like um, one thing I thought was interesting is one of our board members was trying to clarify, like who all, who all in the community is working for ICE or are there some private agents like, um, and going back to like the Minutemen in Bellingham in 2004, those were private people who were policing the border. And I think that's what she was asking about. But he just started naming colors of uniforms and who they were connected to. And it was like, it's a lot. We have a lot of police presence, basically, Um, you know, looking at that poster when you first come in and there's like 40 different emblems of different agencies, you know, if they're all working together, it makes it very difficult to um, to just live your life in peace. It's like a lot of presence of hostile military (laughs) agencies. So. Yeah, I think he wanted to manipulate us. Like you said, Marciano, he wanted, and he was really irritated that we didn't all um, agree with him. Um, I think that, I mean, that echoes like a power structure and like a dysfunctional, you know, he wanted us just to say, yes, sir, thank you so much. Like, we really appreciate you. That's what he was fishing for. And it felt to me like if we hadn't left, he would have kept pushing. And so that was feeling really like, Abusive. And I'm glad that we left when we did because his kind of the takeaway was like, if you don't agree with me, I want to know why and what I can do to make you agree with me. And I'm like, oh, well, don't like, don't tell me what I have to give you in order to walk away from this. It was like really creepy, I thought. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, Well, and I think that plays into the issue of like him not respecting our autonomy. It's like, okay, we can agree to disagree. You can have your opinion and I can have my opinion. The purpose of this tour wasn't to force me to agree with you it was for you to inform me of what it is you're doing here so I think he kind of misconstrued the purpose of the tour it wasn't for you to convince me of your agenda and also too I think you can tell that he was told by a person higher than him he was given that tour and he definitely did not want to be given that tour and I think the question about private um I just think with the history in the U.S. with those Um, You know, the KKK is, like, deemed as one. (laughs) Um, Minutemen, just like the U.S. private militias at the southern border. I think, you know, when you don't have a certain regimen and certain rules and laws that you're following and you just have an agenda, that's when hostility and violence and all sorts of other things that are already happening within the the agencies that are supposed to be doing that patrolling. Yeah. Uh, so i just i think it was really unfortunate that he couldn't talk to us more about private um militias and military forces and that type of thing because it would have been really valuable information but at the same time um they're a federal agency so they're not required to give us any of the information that we would like
0: right he wasn't even able to tell us about his co-workers who supposedly have another office building in that area i mean Mm -hmm. If somebody asked me about like, where's the Skagit office, I'm going to tell them where it is, you know, and it's like, there, <laughs> it's just a totally different, um, frame of mind, I think, but you know, um, one of the things also that from the Mayorkas memo that I think could be really problematic is that they leave so much up to individual discretion. And I don't think that's a good thing. I think it's very rare that you have a sympathetic cop or a sympathetic ICE agent that, It seems to me like they sort of get a thrill out of like chasing down what they see as bad people and detaining and deporting them. So, if it's left up to them, if there's no real um, framework or rules or accountability that we can track, then um, I think that will make them more active in communities. And just saying like border security is a priority, that just means they don't want people to come here. So, um, that to me is not on the same, even in the same universe as child trafficking and drug smuggling and things that like okay sure those things are bad but what you're really talking about is everything that comes across the border which is human beings um so that i think they hide behind maybe they have one or two big victories that involve money or whatever coming across the border but i think it's mostly human beings so and i think he knows that we know that and that's why he acted the way he did otherwise they wouldn't have to pump themselves up with giant poster sized frame photos of cash. Like what the heck? (laughs) Also, what do they do with that cash? I think they're allowed to keep it. I know the cops are allowed to keep it if they take money from you, which is just, um, you know, that's mafia level stuff, I think.
1: I think just from the perspective of like, you know, a local resident, like I want to know what's happening to my, (laughs) like my money that I'm paying into for taxes. And I think everybody should be given that right to know, like, what am I paying for? What am I funding? Um, And I think that just, you know, goes back into that question of autonomy. And when I think about what the police force or what anybody um, patrolling the community is supposed to do, I think they're supposed to protect us and make us feel safe. And that's not what any of them do in my perspective. And I think that's why this narrative that's been being talked about as of recently, just like with BLM um, protests and the, that type of thing was just kind of like, what do we need to do with police enforcement to create this environment of safety and give them proper regimens? And I, I realize that police enforcement isn't what we're talking about, but I just think um, in my opinion, when it comes to like military Um, vets like going on to the police force or ICE or any other agency there needs to be a lot of like psychological evaluations I mean regardless of that they're a vet I just think this should be something that happens like monthly (laughs) bi-monthly just because you know um, I really sympathize with vets and all the things that they go through and when you're going to fight enemies of the country (laughs) And that's kind of the perception that you're taught and the way that you perceive things. And then you're coming into our communities to protect us from, you know, people who aren't following the law. It's just what, what narrative are you pushing? um, And how is that making you act? So I, yes, I just think there's a lot of conversations and action that needs to be have had in regards to all of these subjects.
0: Yeah. And right. I mean, I think all the police organizations are interconnected and and he was, Officer Murphy was very clear about that. Um, I don't know what, I mean, I just don't think that um, these facilities or bigger prisons or Um, any way of like capturing people and separating them from their communities, I don't think that belongs in a free society. So um, I don't, there's nothing he could have said to make me agree with him. But like Marciano said, he did fail miserably at even um, answering any of our questions. So uh, I'm glad that we did it, even though it wasn't surprising. um, And it was frustrating and creepy. I think we need to find out like if there's an ERO office there, and also, um, you know, just keep pushing. I think the public pressure is impacting them. Otherwise, they would just keep ignoring us. So, that is um, one positive thing, I guess, is that it, at the very least, we received a phone call from them, which has it hasn't happened in my time at C2C. They've always pretended they just don't exist. So, um, any amount of transparency is better than what we've had in the past, I think. But um, I want to ask you both for final thoughts um, because it's time for us to wrap up. So um, how do we summarize something that was so big?
1: I think speaking of creepy, (laughs) um, I had to use the restroom while we were on the tour. And well, at first he was gonna escort me himself. And um, I'm glad he didn't (laughs) because I think that would have been very uncomfortable for me personally. Um, but instead, he had a co-worker, I don't remember her name, and she escorted me to the bathroom. And she just stood in the bathroom with me, like, against the wall and, like, listened to me pee. <laughs> and I thought that was really uncomfortable for me because, I mean, they already knew we didn't have any electronics on us or anything. And obviously, we're touring with IB, which is a part of, you know, the city of Bellingham. <laughs> so I just don't know how much of a threat I could be um but yeah no I just think it was uncomfortable having someone in the bathroom with me listening to me pee but yeah. that was just my kind of final thought
2: um I guess for me as kind of like I guess I would describe it as a disaster in kind a of way um yeah having to um sit in there with him um just the atmosphere wasn't that good and the constant um head because we're trying to get answers, and he's trying to like push all of it away, dodge it. Um, and he was just constantly trying to avoid giving us just straight up answers. Uh, and then, well, another thing that I I noticed when I drove up there, it was just a big maze, um, and every other <clears throat> um, facility there storage units they each had you know their own um the name of the company that they had and then you walk you get up to the building th- surrounded by barbed wires and it just has the address um, so it was really you know if you take your time getting in there and you you know it's pretty obvious that that's the office um and yeah i guess you know just constantly having to hear from him how proud he is of what he does and what HSI stands for, um, it got very annoying for me. Um, and, then, and then afterwards, seeing that that tank in there in his garage, um, I don't know. I just It just got to the point that I didn't want, you know, just be there with him anymore because it was obvious that he just wasn't going to give us anything.
0: I agree, it was really frustrating and just felt pretty heavy. It's like, I mean, we already knew that it was there, but through his attitude and just confirming why they exist, which is to punish people and make people suffer, is like, um, that's really too bad. I hope um, they have a 20 year lease. I hope there's something we can do about that um, because their lease says they can be there through twenty thirty-eight, And that just seems like way too long to me. But real quick before we go, I just wanted to mention, um, so Marciano, you are transitioning off of the Immigration Advisory Board, is that right? Yes. Yeah, so you serve as the alternate for Ramon who um, pretty much since the board started, I mean, he was in Yakima when we first got started and then a whole bunch of other things as leadership in the union have come up. So um, what's gonna happen with that alternate position now?
2: Um, So, uh... Lelo or Alfredo Juarez. He's a longtime member, and supporter of um, the union. Um, he he worked in Sakuma, was um, part of the strike and a boycott that ha- occurred um, from 2013 all the way to 2017. Um, he has a lot of experience um, with farm workers. Um, you know, he, he comes, f- uh, f- he has like the same background as me. Um, he's very involved with com- the community as well um everyone you know that interacts with um, alfredo um, they have this understanding that you know he's always trying to help out um so he has that support from the community and um so yeah he was you know that best um, option to have um to become uh, ramon's alternate he understood the community you know he's in the community there uh, he interacts with them and he is a farm worker himself as well
0: yeah i'm excited i know he applied to the board maybe in june and since that time i think five or six people have been appointed and so um that's been kind of difficult because the immigration advisory board needs people on it that understand the experience of immigrants right and so um obviously, Lalo. I mean, he is intentionally involved as such a young person, I feel like he's been kind of in the middle of these issues for, you know, half his life, at least. So um, that's going to be great to have him and also has been great to have you. So you will be missed in that space. But um, it's good we work together in other spaces, too.
2: Oh, well, I was just going to say that, you know, I, even though I won't be like on it every, um, every month, Um, I would be listening in on it uh, whenever I can, as well as if anything does happen, I do plan on coming in and reporting to it. Um, But but I just, I guess, frustrating as well how uh, we had to. This is this was the only way to get um, Lelo in the IAB. Um, You know, um, I don't want to like attack some of the members on there, but. They don't really come from that same background of trying to help out um, the community as well. Um, They're there and, you know, hearing from them, it's kind of like they're more supportive of law enforcement. And that's not really, um, I think that's not really, you know, the type of people that we want on the IAB, because then it's just gonna really delay everything that we do.
0: And we've been seeing that for a year and a half now. So I'm also really happy that you'll be joining us, Sierra, as Australia's alternate. Well, Australia is out on leave until April. So tonight is your first meeting. How are you feeling about that?
1: Um, Just considering um, our tour of HSI, I'm feeling a little anxious, but I'm also really excited to see what my role is and what I can contribute in that space. I'm hoping that I do Australia some justice just because I know Australia is a fire, like fiery powerhouse of a woman and I really respect her. So I have some really big shoes to fill and I'm going to try to do my best to do so. Um, I've learned a lot from her and I really admire and look up to Australia. So it's really big to me that I'm getting to take over and do this for her.
0: Uh, Well, thank you both for joining me. I hope you have a really good day and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.
4: Dos, tres, cuatro.